Good afternoon, and welcome to another presentation of the Fall Colloquia, brought to you by your School of Library and Information Science here at San Jose State University. I am Dr. Anthony Bernier, and along with Dale David, our tech staff, we are producing this series of presentations to better connect our library community with the faculty and the school. Look for new colloquium presentations on the SLIS website at least every other week throughout the term, where you will also find a webcast archive of all of our previous presentations uh, on the SLIS homepage. Find our SLIS homepage at sliswb.sjsu.edu. We also offer our colloquia as free podcasts. Visitors can either subscribe to the colloquia RSS feed or visit the SJSU SLIS portal on iTunes Music Store. Details on how to do this can be found on the Fall 2007 Colloquia page. I'd like to make a few promotional announcements. First, and on behalf of the faculty, I would like to heartily invite everyone to attend our annual Lazaro Lecture in November, sponsored by the Institute for Scientific Information. This is our sixth annual lecture honoring Samuel Lazaro, who is a librarian, administrator, and pioneer in library automation. While you can find further details on the SLIS homepage, of course, the Lazaro Lecture will take place on Thursday, 29 November, from 7.45 to 9.30 p.m. in the Grand Ballroom of the Hotel St. Clair in downtown San Jose. Secondly, I'd like to invite you to visit our SLIS 21, the school-wide blog maintained by our Associate Director, Dr. Linda Main, on the school's homepage as well. SLIS 21 concentrates on school administration and development. You'll find new topics introduced each week, and you can find SLIS 21 on the school's homepage. Today, it is my extreme pleasure to introduce Dr. Daniel Fuller, who teaches management courses, library automation, and coordinates the Library Media Technician Credential Program for SLIS. Dr. Fuller has worked with libraries for over 30 years, including as a high school librarian for 14 years. His management experience includes 14 years in senior management in the software industry. Dr. Fuller has taught six years as an adjunct faculty here and two, at two universities and four years full-time at SLIS. His presenta presentation today is entitled, Can Statewide Digital Libraries Be Sustainable in K-12 Environments? Please, on behalf of the faculty, please join with me in welcoming Dr. Daniel Fuller. Dr. Bernier, uh, I want to thank Dr. Bernier for the opportunity to speak and uh, for the introduction today on uh, the, my research on statewide digital libraries. Uh, I also want to thank uh, the students who have helped me over the years with this research. It's, it's a five-year project, and one of them, Dale David's here with us today, and Michael Kaufman, who is also a graduate of our program and has helped with this research. Currently, my automated library systems class has worked on this research, and I want to thank them for their help, and particularly Doris, uh, Dana Levy and Boris Young, who have contributed uh, uh, some research to this project. So, the title I chose for the presentation is Can Statewide Digital Libraries Be Sustainable in K-12 Environments? The question is directed specifically at K-12 environments, but I also address the larger questions of the push-pull between the bricks and the clicks in our modern libraries and information systems. At the state government level, the pace of technology has exceeded the mechanisms for the provisions of this kind of service. To provide content, print is the preferred format, and to build a library is to do just that, construct a physical building. The purchase support of virtual services and content is difficult. The state governments have yet to wholeheartedly accept their role in this world. We can speculate about the reasons, but the gap remains between the top priority funding and the year-to-year -year project funding that a, a statewide digital library typically finds itself falling under. One of the issues in pursuing the research of, in this area of statewide digital libraries is simply defining what the topic is. First, the statewide digital library is found under a variety of names, usually with some form of electronic and virtu and, or virtual or variants of that name. Many of the statewide digital libraries provide mul uh, serve multiple constituencies, not just K-12. 
Often they serve public libraries and higher education in addition to that K-12 constituency. They're operated by a variety of agencies. They're funded by state government, but the sources of funding also vary. What they have in common is the use of state budgeted funds to provide one similar online service of online subscription databases to the public, at, uh, to the public school and at home to K-12 students. The lack of the definition is also a problem. Levy in his 2000 article suggested uh, in the article's name was the digital library and the problem of purpose suggested that the use of multiple names describes to describe similar information resources reflected the lack of a specific purpose for these libraries. The statewide digital library also becomes part of the hidden internet. While Google is no kind of a scientific tool, if you simply Google statewide digital library, you are going to get a variety of uh, responses, including uh, patents and contract negotiation between public employees. If anyone's looking for them, they're hard to find. You have to know what they are and where they are really to find them. So they're part of that hidden internet. The statewide digital library leases content for a period of time and provides virtual access. It's essentially a service. Nothing is real about it, and they have no real physical assets. Uh, everything is virtual. And for the purpose of the research, I stayed with the uh, 50 United States and excluded the District of Columbia and the protectorates just to kind of keep everything on the up and up on what actually has been looked at. Yet with all this confusion about the state, what the statewide digital, digital library, there are three benefits for, for them for K-12 students. First, the statewide digital library provides a safe learning environment for students. There's a great deal of concern, particularly in the political arena, about internet safety and, I guess, in the popular culture arena, about internet safety. The statewide digital library provides that safety. Second, the state di di statewide digital library provides for equity of access across, uh, across all uh, socioeconomic uh, classes. Everyone who goes to school has access to these libraries. Third, the statewide digital library is the most cost-effective vehicle for purchasing high-quality content databases, bar none. I don't think I've ever seen a more effective use of, of citizens' taxpayers' money than uh, the purchasing of these statewide digital libraries. And that includes all levels, not just K-12, but for academic resources, academic libraries, public libraries, any kind of, of uh, public institution. These three uh, major benefits for K-12 students have the potential to change those students' lives. So, for the next few minutes, I will share my thoughts on these virtual libraries. The results of the research for the past five years and the key findings. Most importantly, we're going to ponder the question, how do we sustain the essential virtual services of the statewide digital library over time? Now, I want to first give you a state of the art on what this, the statewide digital library is, where it came from, how it's grown, and, and a few things like that. Um, the, the first online databases began to appear, there were statewide digital libraries prior to the early 1990s, uh, early to middle 1990s, but they didn't have what I consider the core thing to define, which is the content databases. These began to appear uh, as early as 1992, and by, uh, by the mid, mid to late 1990s, they were the defining characteristic of the, the um, statewide digital library. Georgia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania provide good examples of the evolution of the model. They're long-standing projects. They're, they're projects now that are what I would see as being almost fully mature, and they provide a great deal of service to a variety of constituencies. Another version of the statewide, those, two, those three began with, um, I should say, began with the union catalog model as their core. Uh, they added the, the, the defining uh, online databases afterwards. Another version of the statewide digital library emerged from the buying consortium, a consortium of, of uh, like libraries would get together and begin to buy materials 
And then when the, at first they were CD-ROM products, then later they began to add in the online products. The um, online products then began to define who they were. They had to provide access. They had to provide a lot more um, features to their statewide digital library, and they've emerged now as a virtual library, not simply as a buying consortium. <clears throat> Today, these statewide digital libraries provide a variety of resources in a variety of formats, from the content databases to electronic books, and from traditional print resources to images and video. Now, the, uh, the growth of the statewide digital library uh, parallels the rapid acceptance of the internet uh, access in K-12 schools, and I should also add, in public libraries. As libraries became connected, they needed reliable content, and the metaphor of this virtual library fit perfectly with what they were looking for. Uh, Clyde, in her 2002 study, noted uh, in passing, her study was specifically about the library web pages, the access pages, but she noted in passing that the inclusion of the content databases during the period be between 1996 and 2002 was almost complete by, by her estimation. Um, we have here figure one, and it demonstrates the growth from 2003 when this study began to the present 2007. You can see that uh, in, the, in this five-year period, it moved from 80% of the statewide digital libraries had uh, content databases to the present where 94%. By 2000, that 94% comes from 47 of 50 states. Pretty simple math there. And that seems like a pretty good number. There's only three states that do not have, provide this kind of access to their students. Two more states, two of those three states, also offer access through their public libraries, but as citizens, not to the schools. So the students then have to use the public library to get to these databases. One state, California, offers nothing. Now, that, while that number looks pretty good, we have to look at the three states, Arizona, California, and Texas, which are the three that aren't specifically providing K-12 uh, students with this information. I went to the National Center for Educational Statistics, and these three states have a little over 12 million students, and that represents about 24.5, about 24 24.5% of all of the students in the United States, all of the K-12 students in public schools in the United States. So cumulatively, out of that, a quarter of our students are not being served by K-12 uh, 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 libraries. And in this land, the equity of access that I was talking about, the benefit of equity access, is undermined by a great deal by, by, the, by the, the lack of these three states uh, included, being included. The other 75% of our students out there are getting the benefits of this safe, uh, equitable, and reliable environment. The other, there's 47 states then benefiting from the cost-effective purchasing. Three states aren't, and 75% and 25% and of the students aren't. So it's, a, it's not exactly, a, I like to be a half-full guy, but it's not exactly quite the picture that I would like it to be. Now. Um, students are, are limited to the access. Um, when we look at the, the, the two states with the thing, there's a, there's a problem with socio, socioeconomic status and going through the public, uh, through the public libraries uh, for that. First of all, the student is limited just to hours that the public libraries open after school and on weekends not necessarily the prime learning time, the normal teaching day, okay? Uh, this this is also a problem. The second thing is <clears throat> that the socioeconomic status of the student is probably going to be less, uh, less affluent than the students uh, who ha have access. They're gonna have less connectivity at home and they're going to you know, have less access to quality, reliable, online resources. So, just a little bit of the picture of, of what it looks like. It, it looks good when you talk about 47 to 50, but when you start digging down underneath, you can see that there's a considerable gap in there 
with the three states that aren't providing it. Now, I should say, in fairness, that Texas is working very hard uh, legislatively, and California is working very hard legislatively to uh, bring these databases online. Uh, Texas looks like possibly within the next six months to a year would have this database online. But right now, um, they're not online. Let's talk a little bit about how they're managed and organized. Um, again, it's, there's no pattern. In the most, my most recent survey, there's no, no, no pattern uh, to describe the, um, uh, the way that they're organized. Uh, the most two common departments that you find them, the, the funding kind of flowing through are a, uh, either the State Department of Education or the State Library, and in some cases it's the same group. A lot of state libraries flow into the Department of Education. Uh, a few of them, uh, I'd say the minority of them, are actually independent agencies reporting to the governor. Um, the day-to-day -day management is either handed by agency staff or the other model is they contract to a local or regional education or library agency uh, for the state and then they manage the resources for the entire state. Um, they inevitably report up through the government and face the political pressures uh, and funding threats common to state government, common to state government. So that's kind of how they're managed to give you a kind of snapshot on that. The target audience for my particular study was the K-12 students and um, one of the things I was interested in was a specific either grade or age specific kind of portal for the students, you know, kids portal, teens, you know, adults or middle school, high school, elementary, something, something like that. Uh, beginning in 2004, we began to see this disappear from the, the state-wide uh, state digital libraries, and that stayed the same. There's been very little change, We're, and I have no real good uh, evidence to, to, to say why it, it happened or why it is, but for the most part, this seems to be the trend and staying that way. And I feel that's a threat to the, the K-12 students because they have to wade through the same thing that everybody else gives to find what they want. Our knowledge of students is that they abandon quite quickly. If it isn't there, I don't have the time to mess with this, I'm gone. And they will go to Google or wherever they can find it, Wikipedia, or wherever they can find it and take care of it that way. Um, so it's important that we have some sort of appropriate portal for them to guide them through the process. Uh, in 22 instances in 2007, uh, the configuration of the statewide digital library included three entities, uh, and in some cases even more, some special libraries and things like that. But they were the K-12 public libraries and higher education. Uh, this is by far, of course, the, mo the most common alignment. 14 of the statewide uh, digital library configurations are K-12 and uh, public, library, uh, public uh, library combinations, and, and only nine was purely just for K-12. So the trend there has been away from the uh, K-12 student to the more general population. Access is available to students and other citi citizens in, in uh, uh, some basic approaches. First, the most common method was using a proxy server uh, requiring a password to access the data, the, the fee-based resources. Parts of it were free, you could see the free union catalog for free, but anytime you went to a, uh, a fee-based resource, uh, the password and access was required. The second is requiring users to be registered. So this would be either a statewide library card or in a couple of cases, the driver's license number, which I thought was interesting and kind of perhaps not helpful to K-12 students who most of them can't drive, but that's just me. The third method is uh, used exclusively for the, 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 either the K-12 school building or the public library building where they have a static I IP and only those workstations in the library can access it in this manner. It just requires that the, the stations always be logged on to the statewide digital library and the use of the workstation is closely uh, monitored by staff to ensure that only citizens who, who, and students who the, the, the databases were purchased for get to use them and, know un, and, of course, honor the license of the content vendor. The content also varies. Uh, the defining core, as I said before, was those full-text databases, uh, and they tend to target grades 6 to 12. There's very little uh, support for students uh, grade 5 or lower, 
uh, reflected in this uh, kind of thing. Part of it is the vendors themselves, the way they package their materials and things like that, and uh, you know they're trying to get the most bang for their bucks. So they're, you know, with that general population and maybe three different groups, they'll choose that middle area for the K-12 part of it. It's actually six twelve part of it in that case. Um, another level of content are general search engines and directories of websites. Uh, typically, they will um, either vet them themselves or adopt them from one of the uh, experts who is out there putting together the directory list of websites. Um, and then the last level of content is now adding electronic books and visual materials such as uh, photographs and video and curriculum resources. Uh, it seems that the schoolroom products uh, uh, has uh, virtual reference and homework assistance are, are strong examples of things that are kind of coming on through the statewide digital library at the present time. Um, uh, I'll have to go back and recount how many examples of homework help we had five years ago and today, but uh, there seems to be a great deal of, of movement in that area. Now the vendors uh, are, are the well-known popular vendors in the field. Uh, figure two shows this and the instances in which they appear. Uh, no, I'd made no attempt to try to determine if what the share was of the vendor. Um, if, the, if it appeared, if they had a product, at least one product that appeared at least once, I counted them for the, um, to be included, for the vendor to be included. Um, the appearance of, of one product kind of gives you, is included in amount. So we have at the top, EBSCO with uh, 38, appearing in 38 of the, of the databases of the statewide digital libraries. Thompson Gale, or as they're most commonly called in the library world, Gale Group. Um, uh, all their stuff comes up flashing Thompson Gale, but when the librarians write it in, they put it in as Gale Group. So, uh, but that's 32. So any other vendors are the, essentially the long tail. They're the single digits, one or two occurrences. Uh, you know, somebody's favorite database kind of thing. It's, I, really, I really don't know why uh, there, there's so many with the, just one or two occurrences, but that's the way it is. Possibly some of it could be if they're, if they're serving higher ed through K-12, uh, there's databases that only higher ed would want, and that's why they're included in the, in the purchase. A lot of uh, uh, higher ed institutions will belong to something like this and then purchase their ancillary uh, 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 databases around that, the more you know, that fit their curriculum. The costs of setting up and maintaining a, uh, vary from state to state. Uh, vendors develop their pricing based on the number of potential users, or the or the other way they do it is the size of the school in K-12. In academic and, and public, it's almost exclusively by potential user, but they will put together like packages for small schools, elementaries, middle schools, high schools, and things like that. So it's, it's again, it's, it's kind of an eclectic way of putting together the pricing. However, the fees are heavily discounted versus what an individual library pays. And the trade-off for the vendor is reducing the number of customers. They go from several thousand customers, potentially in the state, to one customer for these databases and they only have to support the one customer. The statewide digital library takes over and handles the training and the support uh, for, for most of that. And they avoid, so the, the vendor benefits uh, kind of on the back end of that. Um, in any case, the research shows that the cost of maintaining a statewide, the cost of starting up a, a, a statewide digital library averages about $2 million. Now, perhaps one of the reasons that the the three large states that don't have it have it because they would raise the average. It would cost more to get them started. But uh, it seems to be somewhere in that, in that uh, $2 million range. I think the lowest that I found was about a half a million, and that was a very small rural state uh, to do that. So uh, main, maintaining the statewide digital library varies again with the local economy and the political will of the state government. Twice State digital libraries have been cut in an effort to balance state budgets, one of them in Oregon, one of them in Texas. Uh, Oregon successfully lobbied the legislature and had theirs back in approximately two to three years up and running again. Uh, Texas is now three year, going on three years without their statewide database. I think it was August of 2004 that they lost their databases. So, um, but they're trying to come back, so they'll be hopefully back up and running uh, soon. 
Now, uh, as far as measuring the effectiveness of these uh, databases, it's in its infancies. To date, what they rely on are the usage statistics that the vendor provides them for the vendor's database. Now, of course, the vendors all measure things differently, and it's, it's, it's kind of hard to pull out uh, what, what can be done, and uh, uh, this is going to be a continuing problem uh, until people can kind of figure out exactly what they're looking for. If they know exactly what they're looking for, then they can find it each, in each of the databases. But if they just kind of use the usage statistics, it's not going to be as accurate. Um, they, what they do is they gather then this usage ev evidence to uh, demonstrate, uh, create cases and, and demonstrate success to legislators and decision makers when it comes time for refunding of the databases. Um, the basic findings of the, of, of the research has changed very little in the, in the first five years of the study. Uh, one that's remained unchanged from the first to the recent is that the statewide digital library is the most cost-effective way to purchase um, these materials. Time and time again, they tell stories of the millions of dollars that they're saving taxpayers by purchasing once through the state versus thousands of uh, individual buys uh, done done by on a school by school basis, even on a district by district basis, it would still it would still save say, uh, that kind of money. Same thing for the public libraries and the and the academic libraries. The academic libraries have a of course they have that different problem because they have so many um, esoteric databases and very specific databases they have to buy. They're really really expensive when you compare them in a relative sense to K twelve. K twelve and public libraries are complaining about the price they should wear the academic shoes for a while and see how much that'll cost them. Um, the tighter focus on the content databases uh, which addresses the reliability of internet uh, safety issues has contributed to the, that definition of the state lib, uh, statewide digital library and their impacts on students. Um, but at the same time, there's a finding that the links to curriculum and the relationships to learning theory and information literacy remain loose, very uh, weak. Um, nobody has, and I, and I, again, I'm, I don't know why. You'll see, you'll see a wide variety of this from uh, places where they're very mature and they're actively pursuing these kind of things, links to curriculum, uh, uh, but they're not. What's happened is they rely on the vendor to insert curricular links to kind of general things. So state-specific curriculum links aren't found in, in these databases. There's also a level of politics and policy, uh, and this has not been something that individual schools have faced on a regular basis. Uh, the most um, famous, I guess, one is in South Dakota during the 2004 election where uh, the archbishop um, contacted the governor about certain free web pages, not even the ones they were paying for, free web pages. And it resulted in the, uh, the, the, the statewide digital library portal for students being shut down for a period of time uh, until this, this didn't happen. The fact that the governor was in a close election, I don't know if that was part of it or not, but there is the possibility that uh, th that those politics and the policy uh, kind of ran into each other at that time. And they were, they were uh, databases that were vetted. They were on the ASL list. Uh, you know, they're on KidsClick. They're, they're all databases that uh, are recognized as being reputable. But the, they had some questionable, in, there had some questionable uh, material in the minds of the archbishop regarding birth control and abortion. So, all right, so the, the, the findings, um, I'll just review them again. Uh, they are the most cost effectiveness. That's one of the findings to purchase these content databases. Uh, the core of these fee-based uh, databases now defining these statewide digital libraries. The uh, content is focused, but it relies on the vendor for curricular links. There's little evidence to learning theory and uh, 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 information literacy, and now politics and policy seem to have a greater impact on the ability to sustain the statewide digital library. So let's talk about sustainability, which was why you're all here today, right? <laughs> uh, this large group that I'm talking to. 
So what is sustainability? Well, for the purpose of this discussion, I want to say it's the ability of that statewide digital library to deliver uninterrupted services to K-12 students in that safe, equitable, and cost-effective manner. The result of this ability to deliver those services can be expressed then in terms of planned student outcomes and eventually inform critical thinking students, citizens in my mind. Uh, the statewide digital library has, has to then have a high priority funding status with the state and will also have to demonstrate significant value to the citizens and de decision makers of the state. So in my mind, there's a lot of things going on there to help create sustainability. While uh, the state of art describes an almost universal acceptance of the statewide digital library going from almost nothing uh, a decade ago to almost complete coverage in uh, 2007, um, I was struck that in the past five years, I was, I was struck by a similarity to what, what was seen in the sophomore uh, industry uh, and written about by Jeffrey Moore in his book Crossing the Chasm in 1991. Moore was, of course, writing about business, but he said, what happens is these new businesses, they're technology-driven, they're software-driven, there's a lot of excitement, and they're able to use other people's money then to make it, to get started, okay? And suddenly they reach a chasm because now they're at the point where the investors say, we want to return on our money, or uh, the loans come due if they, they borrowed money and things like that, and they have to cross that chasm to, to stop being that innovative entrepreneurial uh, type environment to something that is actually going to reward the investors, the people that said, yes, this is a good idea. So what they start doing is they start looking at themselves and realize that they never really had a marketing plan. For the bulk of them, relied on uh, word of mouth marketing. And again, you see that in the internet over and over, the, the dot-com booms and the dot-bomb boom of uh, the early 2000s is a good example of that. And then they just weren't effectively organized to grow. Some companies made it over in, in uh, Moore's opinion. Some people, some of them made it over the chasm, but he felt most of them fell into it. And they were either absorbed in the, into the others or they were just discarded. And uh, uh, you can still talk to people up in Silicon Valley who can talk about projects they worked on were significant. It just, have disappeared or they are existing on a server or someplace unused by anyone. And they, you know, they literally devoted five or six years of their life into creating this product. So it, it's, it's, kind of one of, it's kind of a sad story too. I see a similar parallel uh, to the state di uh, digital library. I think that the administrators clearly, clearly see where they need to be. They need to cross that chasm. But they've relied on soft monies and grants to get as far as they are. They're not sure how they're going to make that, that next jump. Their marketing, again, has been limited to word of mouth and almost exclusively to word of mouth through the library community. They've done very little outside of the library community to, uh, to do that. And then their marketing is, you know, the bookmark, very inexpensive kind of uh, techniques to, uh, to market their product, essentially the statewide digital library. Now, they don't know what it's going to take to cross the chasm. Um, so they've chosen to invest in content, to continue to invest in content rather than marketing. And uh, in Moore's book, he talks about continuing to invest in research and development rather than marketing and those kind of things. So last year, I proposed a three-step process based on Moore's approach to describe how the statewide digital library can move from the sustainable point to somewhere in the future. And the three steps, I feel, are, I call them innovation, consolidation, and sustainability. Now, uh, a statewide digital library is never going to have the sustainable revenue stream that a for-profit business will have. They're never going to have that control. But they can, I believe in my opinion, uh, address the point that they address enough of the state government that they become mission critical and high priority programs for state government. So they are no longer first to be cut but up there with fire police and the essentials of, uh, of state government. Now, for innovation, 
I'd say for most of the current state-of-the-art states, for those 47 states, most of them are well past the innovation stage. The technology is sound, the general model has been re replicated over and over again, and repeatedly in state after state. So I don't see that there's a, a, a need uh, to think about innovation quite yet, that they need to be looking forward to that, sustain that sustainability phase. Their initial plans have gotten them this far. They, they've done what they've wanted to do. Now, the temptation is to stay innovative. The temptation is to keep adding content, keep adding products, keep doing things that continue to act that attract project and grant funding, but never really address the long-term learning, student learning needs, and um, all policy and procedure tends to be ad hoc. It's whatever they decide it's going to be for that year based on what they have. So, to begin, begin consolidating and move, moving forward, I see three areas then that need to be addressed. Budget, measurement of outcomes, and planning for student achievement. Now, administrators, of course, they're going to want to jump right on that budget bandwagon and get that solved first because they see that as, as the problem. I see it in the reverse order. I think that the first thing that needs to be solved is planning for student achievement. Uh, right now, they're planned to deliver content, but they're not planned any further than that down the, the educational food chain, so to speak. And I think that they need to start with planning for uh, student, that student achievement. It'll also allow for more innovation if they plan on student achievement, because as time passes, bigger and better ways to, to impact student achievement are going to happen. And ways that aren't working well can be discarded and, uh, and, and cast aside. Now, planning for student achievement then translates easily into the measurement of outcomes. And um, as we were discussing before we started talking here, outcomes are what matter. It's not what you're doing. Usage really, it's important, it's an indicator, but it's not really what matters. It's that outcome is what matters. And so when, we, when they reach the point where you can decide what the outcome is, then they're going to take another big step forward. And to do that, they're going to have to involve all of their constituencies, they're going to have to involve all of their decision makers, and they're practically going to have to go back to square one to think about what they, what they, what they can do to translate student achievement into outcomes that they can measure. Now, I also feel that the relationship between funding and measurable outcomes is symbiotic. If you don't have one, you're not going to have the other. So it has to be together. And that the, uh, they struggle, like most of the library conti continues to do, to make uh, policymakers value what they, what they do and to understand the value that they, that they provide. The uh, struggle to sustain large complex pro projects is an essential problem for policymakers in general and specifically for those managers of statewide digital libraries. Now, unfortunately, to this point, statewide digital libraries have relied heavily on, fund on the funds that have got them started, state grants and federal funding. Uh, one, of, uh, one of my students in the library, automation, uh, library automated, systems automated library systems class uh, Boris Young identified the dilemma facing advocates of state -like digital library this way. Is it better to be funded by the states since libraries and library access is a popular issue with vo voters or by federal funds on which more direct state pressure can be brought to bear in Washington? It's a question. It's, it's, it's you know, it's the, the, the horns of a dilemma. The problem, of course, is the winds of politics move in different directions and if you happen to be in the, in the right place when the wind is blowing in your direction, you'll move forward. And if you happen to be in the wrong place on, that, on the sides of that, you, you might fail. So what Boris did was he took his thinking a little bit further and he started looking at where LSTA federal funds, because that was something that uh, could be easily identified, um, could, be, could be identified and how, and how much they were spent on the statewide digital library. Uh, the best numbers he and myself, because I then began to look at it too, uh, could find were fiscal year 2004, and at that time, 12% of LSTA funds, the total number of LSTA funds, the millions and millions of dollars of LSTA funds, were being spent on statewide digital library efforts, such as to buy content or support, different things like that. 
the variance, of course, was from 100% again to zero. So we, there's no common model again on how much of LSTA money should be spent. Uh, so some states, particularly larger states, might spend all of, uh, a great deal of money on the LSTA, uh, of the LSTA funds on their statewide digital library because they have other funds in that they can use in the, uh, in the process of providing services uh, as identified by the Library Service and Technology Act. Smaller states don't have that luxury, so they're more likely to fund it all themselves, which I found kind of interesting. So their commitment to a statewide digital library probably is higher and they value it more than say our larger states that are kind of maybe playing a little bit with money. Now I, take a look, I took a little bit further and I went in, started looking at the uh, NCES, the National Center for Educational Statistics database again, and found uh, several uh, tables which indicated how much money was spent on database li licensing for their constituent li libraries. Now this could be not just necessarily a statewide digital library, but anytime they license databases uh, through the state library um, uh, with LSTA funds. And that those monies represent 37% of all LSTA monies. So at that point, uh, you would have a catastrophe if something were to happen to the LSTA money and the statewide digital library. So it, 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 the, you know, the federal government pays a significant role, and, um, but while that's true, the bulk of the money's still coming from the state. And so uh, I think it's probably better uh, to focus on state government and what can be done with the state government support for digital, statewide digital libraries than to think about the federal level. That's in my mind, and I'm not, I, I don't know if, if, if Boris really would come to that conclusion today. At the time he wrote the paper, he did. Um, most of the funding is done through the uh, Department of Education or state libraries, I mentioned earlier, but there are a couple of exceptions where uh, higher education has kind of, uh, they were the first people to start the statewide digital library, and then they have now have adapted it all, brought it all together, and that's, they still control that money. So in those couple of states, states you get this funding of the money uh, through the higher ed, higher ed, which is an interesting model. Uh, also, anybody who's you know, worked with any kind of statewide higher education agency, you know that that can be a very convoluted and almost, time, almost Byzantine at times. Um, the ideal then is to become part of the state budget, a line item, okay? Uh, good examples are found in Pennsylvania and in Ohio where they've spent a lot of time uh, working to become part of the uh, state budget. They still use LSTA money and, and, and grant money, but it's mostly to, to do the innovation and to create things uh, as time goes by. So, let's, for, so to, let's talk, I want to talk now about some tactics, let's, let's change gears a little bit and talk about some of the tactics of sustainability. And the first tactic, of course, is planning. And I, I really advocate widening the constituency, trying to find a broader base for the statewide digital library instead of narrowly focusing on public libraries or K-12 or higher ed or all three together or just the library world. I think that there's a larger world where they can work with uh, to achieve consensus about what matters and what does not. Because I think that's really what they need to start thinking about. Um, right now, use is a big deal to our statewide digital libraries, but I'm not necessarily that it demonstrates an outcome that these larger constituencies would value. Secondly, as far as the planning, I really suggest uh, that they adapt business planning models to their statewide digital library uh, with targeted goals and benchmarks, with exit strategies for changing uh, uh, or getting rid of underperforming areas or improving uh, underperforming areas within the statewide digital library. I think those are two things that they can do in terms of planning that would have immediate benefits. Uh, marketing is another area, as I mentioned earlier, the marketing is weak. In the software industry, uh, a fairly typical number, and for the software industry, because it's a little bit different industry, but I see it very parallel to these, 10 to 15% of a budget goes into sales and marketing. This, of course, is higher in other industries, but 10 to 15%. Uh, not, we're not even close to that with our statewide digital libraries. We're not spending a quarter of a million or, or, uh, or three or $400,000 on marketing in any given year. Uh, it's probably less than $100,000 even in the best of situations. 
The other aspect of it is the challenge of marketing or even selling free to people because it's the classic library problem. It's for free. I don't value it as much as something I pay for. Uh, I also see though, if you make people pay a little bit, you're also undermining, undermining the, the principle of equity of access. So you have to be careful about that, but somehow you have to, to market and sell free to them. It's a classic library problem. Um, beyond that though, they have to figure out how they're gonna target teachers and uh, the learning part is, pro, uh, process is part of marketing. Uh, right now, uh, statewide digital libraries are speaking to the choir, not necessarily to the ultimate user, and they need to spend more time thinking about how they're gonna get their message out there and move beyond uh, bookmarks to a sustained and a redundant message. Uh, one of the classic lessons of marketing is you have to say it over and over and over again in different ways before people understand what you're trying to say. Secondly, you also need to include parents in that message and you have to devise uh, tactics to reaching them, maybe tutorials or information sessions, all kinds of things like that. Parents really do wanna know about what their students are doing. Even parents with high school age kids who, kids whose parents, who the kids don't appreciate that the parents wanna know, you know, <laughs> things like that. All right, measuring is another tactic. The statewide digital library is a great opportunity to start mining uh, 10 to 15 years worth of data that they've accumulated uh, and is pretty much uh, sitting unused. Um, they can use this to start easily, an easy win is start establishing benchmarks, find out what they've done in the past and start thinking about what it's gonna take to exceed or improve that in the future. Um, there's also opportunities to dig into the learning process and make st stronger uh, connections with student outcomes by creatively mixing their data with other data, test scores and things like that. Partnerships is another tactic I think that they should uh, consider. In the consolidation phase, I think they need to look for new and older partners if they had them uh, to join in the effort. The theme of the early 21st century is collaboration and collaboration with professional associations of the various curricular areas is one ta tactic to investigate. To date, most of the focus has been put on library associations and those professional associations. Let's get outside, let's talk to the reading associations, let's talk to the uh, uh, National Council of English Teachers, let's talk to ASCD. There's a number of groups that are out there and would be able to provide support in these kinds of partnerships. Um, the other thing is to consider if they're not already in a buying consortia to joining a buying consortia within their state or perhaps even regionally for some of the smaller states. And then the last thing is innovation. While I said innovation was the first phase in moving towards sustaining, I really think it needs to be a process that needs to be repeated. I think the process of innovation is going to revitalize the effort. Uh, there's a great hoopla when, these, when they started but as you can see, they kept consolidating them from you know, strictly K-12 to K-12 public to K-12 higher ed. Um, and they're missing out on some of that excitement. Now they're kind of just there. They're just more content. They're more books on the shelf in some people's minds, I suspect. The proliferation of Web 2.0 tools uh, provides a lot of new opportunities to deliver content and services to K-12 students. And I think vendors are really looking at this and how they can uh, take their products down new paths doing this kind of thing. And I really think that, you know, for example, podcast, this will be made into a podcast, a podcast of tutorials, a podcast of any kind of thing like this that could be downloaded for parents or students would be, or teachers even, would be a great way to go to leverage some of those 2.0 technologies. The, the return to the path of developing uh, grade-specific portals and tutorials, we have to get back on that path again. The current trend is away from that, and I really think that we're losing, that's where that link to educational theory and to um, information literacy is being lost. I think that we have to get back to them. So, okay, I'll finish up here. Um, now, uh, First, I'll just review a few things. Uh, the statewide digital library is available to K-12 students in 47 of 50 states. That's fact. 
but the statistic is misleading because when you look at the three states without those specific K-12 offerings, you find that they account for 24.5% of the student population in the United States. So in other words, a statewide digital library does not, does, does not serve one out of every four students in the U.S. Now, the other thing to remember in conclusion is, is that the, 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 the research findings have stayed consistent, but one finding has stayed fairly consistent, but one finding has not changed from day one, and that is the statewide digital library is the most cost-effective method to deliver safe, reliable, and quality content to students, There's bar none. So to move through those stages I talked about, innovation, consolidation, and on to sustainability, the statewide uh, digital library has to address three issues, planning, measuring outcomes, and budget. Administrators, of course, are going to be most concerned about that budget and see that as the, as the gold star, but I feel that planning for student achievement and measuring student outcomes will bring budget stability much easier uh, than anything else. Okay, I want to thank once again all of the people who helped, um, particularly my students and the members of the statewide digital community. One of the real interesting things was this year at, at ALA, they had their own little meeting and they got together and they started to talk about common problems and they find that they're all facing similar issues. It, you don't have to be in Pennsylvania, or you don't have to be in California or New Mexico. Everybody's facing these same common problems. So that was a good thing to see. And I'm, ho I'm looking forward to working closely with them on helping solve uh, some of these issues and searching for answers. I want to close with one editorial comment. Uh, history is littered with examples of common sense actions becoming victims of political realities. And in a way, I kind of see that happening right here. There's a bit of, of a game of political chicken going on. Everybody recognizes that this is the most cost-effective way to buy these, this content resource. You know, they, everybody recognizes that. But everybody's kind of sitting back, waiting to see what somebody else will do first to, so that they won't have to give up any of their resources because they're protecting their castle. They're not, they're not you know, really thinking about those taxpayers out there because the taxpayers don't care if they pay it to local government, state government, or federal government. They're paying taxes. Wherever the saving comes from is fine with them. So I, I really encourage that, that game of political... Uh, chicken to be resolved and, and somebody take that first move to move on because um, I'm hopeful that the common sense will prevail and will achieve a goal of 100% of all K-12 students with access to the statewide, to a statewide digital library. Thank you. Yay.